It's okay. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can't hear myself, actually. You okay? Good. Wave from the back row if you can't hear. Oh, that's all right. Well, if they couldn't hear, they couldn't wave, could they? But never mind. Now, I've taken my watch off, so I'll put it in my pocket, and that'll be all right, won't it? No, we won't. We'll put it up there. I just, um, before I start, I've I, I just taken up with the word that you brought, Pam, and it's just the thought that went through my mind was there are two kinds of fear. There's the fear of Pharaoh, and there's the fear of the Lord. And the fear of Pharaoh, Pharaoh in the Old Testament, certainly in Scripture, stands for the enemy, for Satan, right? So there they were. They were got a real dilemma. They're being pursued by Satan, but now they've got to find the courage and the faith, the fear of the Lord, to walk through the water, between the water. Which would you have chosen? I'm not, you know, don't just suddenly say, oh, of course I'd There was a fear element there, wasn't there? But the greater fear, the fear, the trust in the Lord, took them through, confident that the water would not cave in until they were out of it and Pharaoh was in it. You know the end of the story. Just, just a thought based on what you were saying. So, whatever fears you've got, the fear of the Lord is the best one to, uh, if you like, to put your faith and trust in at all times, really. Okay. It's been the Queen's 90th birthday this year. That will not have escaped your attention. If it has, where were you? But that's kind of a bit in the past now. But I want to talk about Queen Elizabeth or when she was Princess Elizabeth. And the story goes like this, that as a princess, and along with the Princess Margaret, they were walking in the grounds of Sandringham in Norfolk, which is the Queen's, one of the Queen's favorite country estates. And... Uh, they were walking with their uh, nurse or their, their nanny, and they had run on ahead. The queen was about eight years old, Princess Margaret just a year or two younger. And they arrived uh, uh, at a cottage where an elderly lady was leaning on the gate, and they stopped to speak to her. And uh, the lady had very poor eyesight, so she said, addressing the taller and therefore the elder Princess Elizabeth, she said, um, please tell me who you are. And she replied, oh, I'm nobody but my father is the king. I'm nobody, but my father is the king. I want to tell you this morning, we're all nobodies, right? But our father, if we are in Christ, is the king. We have a father in heaven, and therefore, the consequence of that is that we are children of God, as we put our faith and trust in him. So if you want to write a title down if you're taking notes it really is this morning called to be children of God you see den identity is important isn't it have you noticed I mean it's a thing that's suddenly become very very important in our present age knowing who you are seems to be an essential of the 21st century and I expect you can buy a hundred books about it and uh, all this kind of stuff that goes with it knowing who you really are Western culture focuses on individuality more and more and more. And, and, and in particular, on that aspect of individuality, which has become called celebrity. And uh, it's a very, in one sense, it's a very inward-looking vision. It, it's all about you. It's not about the greater picture. It's not about really who you are so much as um, it, 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 we need to see it within the context of family, a wider expansion of that. Uh, and, and in Old Testament times, 
you weren't so much identified by your name as by your tribe, as by your background, your family history. That's why when we come to the Old Testament, um, uh, and, and also in Jesus' time, we find throughout the Bible, every now and again, long lists of names, don't we? You know, so-and-so was the father of, the father of, the father of, the father of, and, uh, and all of that. I, I remember uh, some years ago uh, reading through um, Chronicles, and I, the first eight chapters, I think it is, of Chronicles, it's just names after names after names after names. Add in, I was going to say ad nauseum, but it, I, I was, I'm, I'm plowing through this faithfully, thinking what is good, and I said to the Lord, you know, in, in, in Paul says that all scripture is given for our edification, etc., etc. Where is the value in all these names? And God said to me, well, that's because you're not numbers to me, you're names. And in your society, you're more and more identified by a number, haven't you? We've got countless numbers if you look at your numbers. And, and, and I felt God was saying to me, look, you're all individuals, but you're all part of my great family. And that's why the, 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 the tribal system was so important in those ancient times. Who your father was, who your grandfather, your great-grandfather, working back and back and back and back and back. And it wasn't written down anywhere. It was, it was an oral history, an oral history. They, they, they repeated it from generation to generation to generation because it was so very important to know who you are, not so much as an individual but within the context of family. And that's still true for we who are Christians today because the important thing is, whilst we are in Christ, and we'll deal with this in a moment, but that that sense of family, and that's what church is, and that's what this is this morning. We are family. And when we come together, we express something of not so much the history of this church, although it does have a great history, but the history of God's people all down through the ages, the family of God that is spread across the world today. And we are related to every one of them. You know, we are brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And that's an important concept for us to get hold of. So you see that underlined in Philippians. And uh, if we turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, which I haven't yet marked in my Bible... I want to read that to you. It should be on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, just verses 4 to 6 really. Because Paul is underlining the importance of, um, uh, of belonging in that sense in Christ. So if we read at chapter 3 and uh, at verse 4, let me read it to you. He says this. Though I myself have reason for such confidence... If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the, of the people of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, he's giving his family history. He's saying, this was my identity. This is who, in this context, this is who I was. Now he says, let me tell you who I am. Because whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may, be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, etc. He's, he's, he's establishing a new identity. An identity isn't just based upon his family history anymore, but a greater family history, the family history of the people of God, which was just... From that point of view, from terms of Christian faith, was taking off at this particular time. And he's finding his new identity in Christ. And actually, that's our story if you're already a Christian. If you've already given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus, you're already born again. You have been born again into God's family. That's your new identity. That is who you are. You are no longer who you were. You are a new person in Christ. And hence we've chosen, particularly to sing that song this morning, that repeating refrain, I am a child of God. And if you go away this morning and, and you remember nothing else from what we say this morning, I say to you, repeat that over and over and over again to yourself. I am a child of God. We were singing this choruses some months ago. And... Um, it, for me, suddenly, the whole thing lit up in a new way, and I've been a Christian a long time. But there are moments when God comes and he touches you again, and we go deeper into things, don't we? We have an understanding of something, and then the understanding suddenly deepens. And, and then perhaps several years later, it deepens again. And it's God just taking us on and on and on, in deeper and deeper into him. And I have one of those moments sitting where I normally do at the front there, and suddenly it kind of, it burst with a new light upon it. I am a child of God. When I sing that chorus, I put the emphasis there. I am a child of God. And that's what I want you to go away with today. With an understanding that each and every one of you who is in Christ is, you are. You may say, I am a child of God. It will begin to revolutionize your thinking. That's my experience. It will change you. It's been changing me for the last goodness knows how many decades but it goes on changing me, that new identity. And it should, because God wants us to mature and to grow in fellowship with him and indeed in the wider family with one another. All of us together should be saying, we are the children of God because that's who we are. So that's an important point for us to get hold of today. That's what he's saying. I have a new identity in Christ. And you find that all through uh, Paul's writings in the Old Testament if you want an exercise when you're reading through underline every time he talks about being in Christ it's an important factor in his life it's almost like a guiding light for him it, it's something that's root and, and foundation for him that he is in Christ and in all the tribulations that he went through in all the ups and downs in all the challenging moments of life all the time I've got a sense he's going in it all, being beaten, being stoned, being shipwrecked. He's hanging in and he's going, I am a child of God. I am in Christ. And when you're in Christ, in that sense, you are secure. You are secure for all eternity. David Livingston, the famous um, <coughs> missionary explorer uh, in the um, 1800s, 
uh, on his last journey to Africa was they tried to persuade him not to go back because they said you'll probably die, and he did actually. But his, re- his response to them was, um, you know, I, I am uh, immortal, he said. What a statement. I am immortal until the will of God is f- fulfilled in my life. And we are. You know, we are immortal. We are immortal because we're in Christ. We have eternal life already. So we may say we are immortal in that sense. It's not a presumption. It's a truth. <clears throat> if we are in Christ because he is immortal. He is eternal. And so we have already entered into eternal life. Yes, the body will die. But like the song says, the soul goes marching on. Amen? Amen. So that's where Paul is. He's establishing the understanding about a new identity. If we turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verses 1 to 2, we read this. This is John, the apostle, writing, and, and he says this. How great is the love... The Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. This is scripture. This is his writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is, if you like, this is red letter, gold letter stuff that he's writing. So he says, the the love of the Father has lavished on us. We sang it at the beginning of the meeting, didn't we? Here is love vast as the ocean. Fantastic hymn. And, And... expresses how God has poured that love on and, and you know as parents sometimes, if we have the opportunity, we, we like to treat our children, we love to lavish love on our children, not so much giving them gifts, it's lavishing love on them. Parents, you cannot love your children too much. They, you need, they need to feel loved, and when they're loved, they're secure. And that's the kind of God wants for us. He lavishes his love upon you. And, and when, when you feel insecure, you, you should be... Say to the Lord, no, no I, I know I feel insecure, but I know I'm not because you have lavished your love on me. And I live my life in Christ. And I am a child of God. These are the things that we use to, to defend ourselves when the enemy comes to dig away the sand under our feet and try and topple us over in these kind of areas. More about that in a moment. And so uh, John's absolutely sure about his, what he's writing here. And in, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, And verse 12, he says this, and you know it so well. To all who received him, that is Jesus, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That expression, born again, is a great expression. Because we are born again into God's family. We're born again into a relationship with our Heavenly Father and with the Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. We're born into that relationship. God has made that possible for us on the cross. It's a stupendous truth when you stop and think about it. Sometimes as Christians we become so familiar with the truths uh, that we, uh, we are so familiar with them that the impact of them recedes a bit. Sometimes we need to take hold of it again and say to us, what does this really mean? What does it mean when I'm in Christ? When, when God says to me, you are my child. You know, he's lavished that love upon us. Just think about it. Just take it on board. And it's a tremendous statement being born of God. If you're writing notes and you want a, just a, a heading, I would say this is the privilege, point one if you like. 
the privilege. It's a privilege to be a child of God. It's a privilege that he's given to us and made available to us. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul talks about our citizenship is in heaven. Now, citizenship is, if you like, the greater expression of the family, isn't it? You know, we, we are English, British, whatever we are, and we're, we're part of this nation. But we're part of a greater uh, nation, in a sense, uh, of, of the nations of the world. You know, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. We recognize more and more the great family of God, especially the family of God, uh, across the seas. We're part of something really big. We're part of the family of God that's already in heaven. This is a big, big thing that God is doing. And we're part of it, you know. And every single one of us is a significant part of it, you know. Every brick in the wall is needed. Every foundation stone, whatever your particular thing, you are essential in that place. And you're also privileged to be in that place. It's a huge, huge privilege. In... In, uh, in Colossians, Paul says this, chapter 1 and verse 12. Uh, he says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. That's a good word. Qualified you, the right, but qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. That's us. In the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You could preach your way through that for a month. I mean, it's, you could. I'm not going to. Uh, but it's for, these are the riches that God has given us as his children. In John chapter 12, we go back to that just for a moment, that word, the right to become a child of God. And just in case you're in any doubt, this is, just in case you're in any doubt, the word, the Greek word there means... Absolute and comprehensive right to become a child of God. Absolute is absolute. You can't go beyond absolute. Absolute and comprehensive. You can't be comprehensive. And God is underlining to us our position in Christ as we come into him. And the, it's a right that he's given to us. The right is rooted in the work of Christ upon the cross. That's where the right was won, achieved, paid for. But never doubt, once you are in Christ, you're there. You're there for eternity. You are secure in that place. There's no ifs. There's no buts. There's no small print to catch you out. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you are a child of God. So, after privilege, we come to promise. And uh, the promise. What is the promise? Well, it's right here in John chapter 10 and verses 28 to 30. Um, And we, uh, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, I give, effectively, to my children eternal life uh, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand I and the father are one that is a very secure place to be isn't it if you were privileged to have parents who walked and talked with you and they they took you by the hand 
and there was dad on the right and there was mum on the left and they held your hand as you walked along as a child. Did you not feel secure? Do you identify? I hope you do. Perhaps some of you don't, and I'm sorry if you don't. But that's the ultimate security, really, for a child, to know that they're loved, knowing that they're being held. They're not going to get lost in the crowd because they're being held tightly. That's God's relationship with us. He loves us. He's lavished his love on us. He's made us who we are. And he's not going to give us up. He's not going to let us go. And I know for a fact that the enemy hates that thought. He hates that truth. And he will do all he can to undermine it. He will tell you lie after lie after lie. He will tell you that you, what you did last week was so awful, he, you, know, you couldn't possibly be a child of God. He, he'll tell you all kinds of things. He's probably got a different lie for every one of us. But they're lies, lies, lies. And the truth, truth, truth is, I am a child of God. You are a child of God. And Father is holding you. It's Jesus is holding you. And it's written in the scripture, no one shall snatch you from his hands. You can walk away, of course. You can walk away. But this is a covenant relationship. And that's an important factor for us. It's a covenant relationship. Jesus, the old people, the Old Testament people had a covenant with God. It was between them and God. God kept his bit. They kept breaking theirs over and over and over to the point where God said, and already planned, a new covenant. And the new covenant was established on the cross between the Father and the Son. The completed work upon the cross, witnessed by the Holy Spirit, there forever. And when we are in Christ, we enter into that new covenant. Because new, God, if God carried on another covenant with us, we'd have kept breaking it. So he established a new covenant. That's what we celebrate at the Lord's table. When we take the bread, we take the wine. We're again going our men to the covenant that we're in already. I believe that we are once saved, always saved. That's my view. Oh, I know. You can wander to the far country. You can become a prodigal if you like. Please don't. But in some sense, there's always a prodigal bit in lots of us, isn't there? If we're really honest. The bit that is prone to wander, prone to go off course, prone to head in the wrong direction, just like the prodigal son did. He did it big time. Somebody said this was the greatest short story ever told, and it probably is. Jesus tells the story, and you know the story as well as I do. And the great thing about the story, it's a pity someone labeled it the prodigal son. It should have been labeled the lavish and loving heavenly father who welcomed back his son, who, if you like, had gone into the far country did all the stuff that he did. By the gracious working, I would say, of the Holy Spirit, he came to his senses, which is often the case with most of us. Coming to your senses in a moment like that and heading back to the Father, but not going back, thinking he'd blown it completely. I might just make it as a servant. Is he received as a servant? He's mumbling, his, 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 he's got his carefully rehearsed prayer or... or, or apology to his father I get the impression the father's not even listening to that he's so excited that his son is back and and he throws the party as you all know and you know 
he's completely restored because actually in the Father's heart, he never went away. Do you see that? He went away from the Father. The Father never went away from him. I've got to told you a story before. I cared for a lady at Burswood who was dying of cancer, uh, 70 odd years old. And in my first conversations with her, she said to me at the very end, almost the last thing, as, as I was getting up to go, polite conversation up to then. And then she said, I used to be a Christian. And I sat back down again. And I said, you used to be a Christian. She told me how at eight years old she gave her heart to Jesus in a little chapel in High Brooms. And then they moved house after a year or two and went to a part of the town. There was no church within easy walking distance. And uh, somehow or another her faith kind of got lost. And she said to me, so I used to be a Christian. I said, my dear, you still are. The Lord Jesus has been just one step behind you every part of your life. And now, in this moment, right at the end, he's still there. All you need to do is turn around and face him. He's right with you. He's never left you. I believe that. Because that is a covenant, you see. And covenants are, in theory, not meant to be broken at all. Covenants are very serious legal documents. And, and there is no greater, if you like, legal document, although it's far more than that, than the new covenant of the New Testament that God made with his son for our sakes and for our redemption. Hang on to it. You see, that son was actually still the son of his father. Nothing could change that. Nothing. And that's how God deals with us. We never lose our sonship. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, we read this. If anybody does sin, and I put in brackets here, and we all do, hands up those who haven't sinned this week. Oh, I'm glad, yes, still 100%, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you're all 100% honest. That's the great thing, isn't it? You know? I mean, if you'd said, I haven't, I'd invite you to come up now and carry on preaching because you'd be able to tell us how not to sin. But let's hear it again. If anybody does sin, see, God's made a provision. We have one who speaks to the Father, it's all about relationship, in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Hey, that is good news, isn't it? When the enemy comes, it doesn't just, this isn't just a last days thing when you stand before God and give an account of your life. This is an everyday thing when the enemy comes and he points his finger straight at you and he says, child of God, you call yourself. What did, when you spoke to that person just now, was that the way a child of God speaks? Of course it wasn't, and you know it wasn't. When you thought that particular thought, that's not how children of God think. Oh, we know. and we, The best thing to do is to repent as soon as you know you've done something wrong. That's, that's the great thing about, we'll talk about temptation another time, but that, that and falling into sin in one way or another, as we all do, the provision is here, and Jesus steps forward, and we can call on Jesus to step forward, and we can say, enemy, don't point at me, because he's pointing at you. Yeah? He'll back off. Jesus is that atoning son. What a privilege God has accorded us to be called children of God. So that was the privilege and the promise, and we come to the purpose. And I'm not sure how long I've been preaching. Anybody know? 
Sorry? Five minutes. Five minutes. Albert said to me this morning, we put the clocks back there if I could have an extra hour. <laughs> so I'll put the watch away. <laughs> what about the purpose? Well, we touched on it already. The purpose is this, that God intended always to create a family. God is a family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were the eternal family. Uh, and then I presume at some point he created the angels who were part of his family, but there was trouble there, wasn't there? But uh, in the greater family, that's, what he, that's God's always purpose to have a family. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul writes uh, about the Father from whom his whole family in heaven derives its name. We have a surname, if you like. I'm not sure what that surname, I don't try and define it, but we have a surname of God's whole family. We use the word the church, the, the gathering of those who love and know him. And uh, that's who we are. See, we saw earlier that we are born of God. Logically, that means that we bear his likeness. We sang this morning, didn't we? His blood flows through our veins. His breath is in our mouth. You know, that's who we are. Yeah, great, good thing for us to do. I, as the preacher, I was standing there and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, please, this morning, um, don't let them see Brian. I'm, I just want them to hear your voice speaking through me. You know, I, that's what I want. Because if the Holy Spirit speaks in us and through us, that then that, that's going to be of great value. And so... As his child, I, I, I rejoice in those, those choruses, that we, uh, those songs that we were singing. It's logical, isn't it? We're born of God. His blood flows in us. We bear his likeness. See, God has placed a mega potential on all of us. A mega potential. There is a sense in which the genes of God are placed within us when we are born again. Yeah? So I say that again. The genes of God are are placed within us when we're born again. You know, when uh, at that point of, um, uh, of conception, genes are planted that flourish into a living person. And this, we're born again of God, it says. It's drawn the natural things, and John says it's nothing to do with that. It's all to do with an experience with God that places us in Christ, makes us part of that heavenly family introduces us into the flow of God in every sense. And God flows in us as we flow in him. That's the way it's meant to be. That's why the New Testament uh, writers are at pains to emphasize um, things, uh, the, the, the teaching of the apostles, the way in which we're to live our lives, the manner of life we're to live, the moral standards required of us. Uh, and, and most important of all, what to do when we get it wrong, that root of repentance, genuine repentance, that takes us back into fellowship with God. You know, in those days when I was a teenager and probably fell out with my father, not very often, I'm happy to say, but you know what you like when you're a teenager, you think you know better, don't you? And, and so I might fall out with him, but I tell you what, I never ceased to be his son, and he would never cease to remind me that he was my father. But, uh, you know, that's... What I'm trying to say is that nothing, nothing, nothing this morning can rob us. And part of God's purpose is to make us that, into that family, to integrate us into God's family. 
The great part of being family is that in the best of all families, we support one another, we encourage one another, we pick one another up when, up when we fall down, we love one another when someone needs to be loved, we put our arms around somebody when they're weeping. I saw it happen this morning. You know, this is God at work among us. This is family. You know, wherever you come from, we're all part of God's lovely, great family. And it's wonderful to be together this morning in such a family. See, the apostles uh, understood it and the need for a manner of life that demonstrated that. That was God's purpose. And putting it into practice, third point, I think, or fourth, um, that practice, the practice of what we're reading, that's why it's important, lots of practical instruction in the scripture to enable us to live the life, to guide us, loins, how to behave, how to conduct ourselves. And the important thing is that we do not only practice it in terms of making sure we're living it, but actually living it out before the world in which we're placed. It's no use me standing up here and preaching if I'm not attempting at least to practice what I'm preaching. We've got to live it out in our daily lives. We want to become an expression of God's family to the world and of his kingdom in our homes, in our workplaces, in the street where we live, among our friends and family, to be an expression of the family of God and of the kingdom of God in our world. And also speak about it, not just living it, but finding that boldness to speak out appropriately when we can, to share what is our experience in Christ, to be, what it means to be a child of God, what a difference it's made to our lives to be a child of God. What a great family we've entered into. You know, I'm all for praying for revival. I'm all for praying for revival, and I do pray for revival. But actually, we need to live our lives of those, as those who have been revived, because we have. Revival isn't necessarily something that comes down from heaven. It's already here. The deposit is in us. We have it, beloved. Let's live it. You know, being born again is the biggest transformation you will ever go, undergo. Add to that being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it gets even better, right? And, and so, we, we, you know, we have so much, and we have it. We've got to live it. Live it. Got to get it out the door and live it. And everybody get out, not all of us going out on the street necessarily, but living it in the people we have everyday contact with. Starting with your family, starting with your friends, starting with your workmates, living the kingdom, being the kingdom, you know, being the children of God, wherever God has placed you. The world is looking for evidence to back up what we say, more and more and more. It's not interested greatly in our history. It's not greatly interested in our Bible. It isn't greatly interested in our God, to be perfectly honest. What it is interested in is if you profess it, do you live it? That cuts a lot of ice. I think I'm nearly through. I think I am. Paul talks about us being um, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse, uh, verse uh, 1 and 2. And he talks about us. This is from a translation that's not on the screen. But he says, you are living letters known and read by all around you. It was a commendation. It was the testimony of the early church. And so we come to an end. We've looked at the privilege We've looked at the purpose. We've looked at the importance of the practice. Finally, the prospect. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, 
using the King James Version for this occasion, John says, when we see him, we shall be like him. What a prospect that is, isn't it? What an outcome that is. What a final finishing line in one sense. Although it's not a finishing line, there isn't a finishing line. It just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Not only on earth, but in heaven. When we see him, we shall be like him. That is a stupendous statement, entirely dependent upon what God did in Christ on the cross. It's dependent upon us putting our faith and trust in him. And if you have done that this morning, I tell you, you are, you may sing, I am a child of God. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back.